You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick. Uh, everybody pray for Rick. He's feeling a little sick, a little under the weather today. But uh, instead of Rick, today we are joined by Hirsch Gleck who is actually the the hero at Hero Time Manufacturing. And he is in China right now. And at the time of this recording, it is past his bedtime. So thanks yeah, for joining us. <laughs> yeah, 11.39. And um, I just got to correct you, the hero and Hero Time actually refers to the game creators, not oh, for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's their time and not my time. That's so. awesome. Cool. So That's the concept behind <laughs> behind the behind the name. Yeah, it took me a while to think about it, but but I figured hero is a cool word, and and publishers go through so much. They're heroes as well, um, so it's uh-huh. their time to shine more or less. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say from a marketing point of view, uh, I, I know you work, you you do marketing. Starting with a name, I mean, you can just choose something, and then mm-hmm. always change it later, more yeah. or less. I mean, with a website right. and everything, maybe less, but. But, yeah, you know, you, know, you got to focus on the important stuff, the names, the brand, whatever comes later is, is secondary. Let's get into our topic uh, at hand because you are an expert in manufacturing and we really are excited to chat with you because I trust you as a manufacturer. I think that you're an excellent uh, choice as a manufacturer that, uh, first of all, you speak my language so well and <laughs> the language barrier is like a real thing. You know, um, I'm dealing, yes, I, my manufacturer is long pack. So, but I, I reached out uh, to you actually early on in the business for a quote and we've had clients use you and everybody seems quite happy with your services. And so I'm really excited to have you on to talk about really what we would dub kind of like a manufacturing 101 with marketing in mind. And I think that's the, the caveat that, that would make even veteran publishers want to listen Yes, uh, because we see all sorts of mistakes that could be solved kind of at the manufacturing level. And I'm, I'm really well, just so very many. excited to dive in. So, uh, but, but before we jump into it, maybe Hirsch, if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, uh, who, who you are about your company and um, your, about your expertise. Like I said, or you said before, my name is a uh, Hirsch Gluck. And what I do is in 2019, I opened Hero Time and I mostly opened it because uh, my brother and my uncle and a few other people, they wanted to manufacture their game. I was already in China and I mean, I didn't deal with producing and printing board games or card games or any printing of any sort. I did more random sourcing projects and they came to me. They said, can you help us produce this game? And I said, yeah, for sure. Why not? So I went on all the Chinese platforms and I was like, and I checked where all the locations for printing and, and productions are because in China it goes by industrial zones. So you want to find the area where they make the specific thing you need to be, you need to make. So there was one in um, Guangzhou or Guangdong area, another one in Zhejiang, in Shanghai, also in the north, uh, next to Qingdao. So there are a few areas. I went to all of them, and I spoke to all these factories. And my brother had an amazing game in mind. And the simplest question that, I mean, we had a few questions, right? So he had uh, individual player boards, and he has a box. And we wanted to know what is the size of the cutting sheet, because he also had a bunch of tokens. So... For us, when we approached this project, 
we always wanted to make sure that the production prices will be as low as possible. And then when I always, when I come to ask the factories, okay, what is the ideal size? Nobody gives me a straight answer. And even if I go to the factory and I talk to the sales manager or even to the big boss, nobody gives me a straight answer. They always tell me, oh, whatever you need, give me, I will do, I will make for you. And this is a one of the communication breaking points because for Chinese people and their culture, they they want to make sure that you get everything you have or you need. Um, and they're very accommodating almost in that sense, up to a point, obviously, which afterwards mm-hmm. they really don't care about you anymore. But <laughs> you need they, money. Yeah, you need money. And there's a point of uh, mafan. If, uh-huh. if something becomes mafan in Chinese, it means this is too troublesome. Forget about it. They don't want to do it. Actually, one of the, yeah. if you bother people in, in China, uh, you can tell them buhaisamafanila, meaning I'm, I'm apologizing that I'm, I'm that I'm troublesome, but please help me with this, and then they will be a little more in tune to listen to you. So the idea of not troubling people is 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 a core concept over there. That is very very interesting, and actually, if uh, you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just dive into that point because I'm surprised, and I you just taught me something. I think that sometimes people can get themselves into trouble because they are too needy. And I'd love to get a little more into what, what makes a person needy, like late later into the podcast, what makes a person appear needy. But I mean, this is a really, really interesting concept. And I think that the, for me, the, the, the immediate lesson is to go to my rep and just apologize to them for being needy. But uh, you know, I, I, (laughs) even if I'm not, you know, but, or if you do, uh, if you have a lot of changes, especially changes, you yeah. you need to apologize for that, or not apologize, but buhaisa meaning, the literal meaning is like uh, it's not good meaning. It, uh-huh. uh, that's a literal meaning. So, but it means like oh, I, not apology, but it's more like uh, my like my apologies almost. Uh-huh. So, um, definitely, if if you have problems with the rep, that's a, one of the things that you want to tell them in the beginning. Yeah. You will also notice that even in the beginning, maybe they will communicate very well, but then once problems start, mm-hmm. the communication will get delayed by weeks mm-hmm. because nobody mm-hmm. wants to confront the um, the issue at hand because it's yeah. it's uncomfortable and everyone we everybody wants to avoid that discomfort zone. So yeah. if, if you put yourself out there and you tell the, the rep that you're working with that you're with them, you understand there's issues, there are problems, mm-hmm. then they will work together with you. Once you become very cold to them or very firm with them, then they will say, okay, this guy's too ma fun, screw yeah. him, almost. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really important to maintain that, that B2B partnership instead of, hey, you are my peons and I'm I'm the master, do what I say. It's, it's, uh, it's understanding that. We are partners. We're in this together. Let's help each other get this project complete. And it's a very yes. good point to take away when interfacing with manufacturers in other countries. Uh, it's very, very true. And in China, actually, many also many people also feel that Chinese people they might be hungry for money. So sometimes you'll talk to the factory and you feel like, oh, everything is about money. You know, you want this? Oh, you need to add a, a few more cents. So many, many game creators will feel like, oh, Chinese people are so. Yeah, and I don't want to say I don't want to name any specific uh, manufacturers, but but some creators have complained about that, and uh, I think it's also one of those cultural barriers. Hmm. So yeah, sometimes they can mention money just to like dissuade uh, dissuade you from the idea that of what you want to do, and but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily money hungry per se. Um, yeah. So it's also a lot of but yeah, but that's like the that's like the philosophical or very fine details 
of the communication. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, communication is a big problem. Even for me, being in China, speaking the language fluently, I have language barriers with them and mostly cultural barriers with them, especially with technical people or accountants, which are very, very difficult for me to, to, to handle those types of mm-hmm. people. One of the things that I try to do with my with my rep, who uh, her name is Rebecca for uh, at Longpack, she's treated me very very well. And uh, one of the one of the things that I think about, I've never had a situation where it's been like weeks long delayed communication. I, I'll have I'll have time like right now. I'm actually kind of in the middle of hitting the the big red print button and trying to get like a few art pieces tweaked and and that kind of thing. But um the what she'll say is like, all right, you know, uh, artist is working on the, the art pieces and converting them and, and everything. And then I won't hear anything for a few days. And then all of a sudden she sends me a big file with like a zip, you know, that's like one gig full of all of my art pieces. And, that kind of thing. and so it's like, it's making progress, but she doesn't really give me status updates until like it's ready. And I try not to bug her you know, for an update, unless I'm at the end of the month, it's like, Hey, you know, my backers are looking for an update. I wonder, you know, is there anything that I can share with them and and that kind of thing. And I try to be very, you know, like to be very appreciative, like, thank you very much for how hard you're working. I see how hard you're working. And I, it is incredible that you worked so hard to get my project. You know, for example, I had a, can't remember what it was. Oh, it was a, my final production copy was sent to me like the day or two days before the factory shut down for Chinese New Year. And yes. um, they, you know, like she made sure that I received it before the factory shut down and everybody went on holiday. And I just thought that was fantastic because she, in my exactly. opinion, went over and above, above and beyond. But, but that's also your personality. It, it means a world. It means a world to me also. Um, I'm, and I'm like Western, so I understand if I, I get angry sometimes, you know, I get very frustrated sometimes. And uh, like the other week, I went I went to a different city because somebody wants to make something out of metal. I'm not going to disclose, but there's metal involved. And I needed to go to a different city to study and learn everything about metal. And I had meetings with a specific factory that guaranteed me that he can do it. And then I go down there and I see his machines and I know this is not the right machines. It's not the, and I asked him all my questions beforehand, and I came all the way there, and he kind of like gave me these half-ass answers, and I got really, really frustrated with him, very angry. I even raised my voice, which I tried to avoid, but but I was just so pissed off. So I know <laughs> I know how it feels sometimes, also for game creators. But yeah, not losing your cool, always keeping the positive vibe is really helpful across the whole production line. So. Th- think about Rebecca that you work with. So if you're nice to her, she's happy to work on your game. She's happy. She goes to the artwork department that changes your artwork and says, okay, Andrew wants to change it. And and they like Andrew also because Rebecca, every time when Rebecca mentions Andrew, she, she's smiling and she's happy about it. So the artwork department obviously will also be very yoha. Yoha is like you're very, very friendly. You know, you have friendship in you. So they all they all try to be very helpful. If Rebecca goes to a production manager or if you have, so yeah, even in your case, where it was a very big issue with the mold that, you know, they made the first mold, then it was an issue. The lines were not deep enough or not clear enough. Then they had to remake the mold. You did not pay extra money for that mold. Did you? Right. But nope. the production factory, the mold factory did. Mm-hmm. They had to remake a whole new mold. It cost them another 20,000 RMB, another $3,000. But because you were very, very nice and friendly, 
and because everybody in the experience loves you, they they took it, you know, they they took the charge on themselves instead wow. of pushing it you, back. You owe on them yourself. a review, a good review, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know what's funny is the only thing that I so uh, to to kind of back up, um, Hirsch um, visited a, a factory that uh, for miniatures and whatnot. He was sharing this before the you were sharing this before the podcast began, where. Uh, they used deliverance minis like the angel miniatures of my game deliverance as some of their show pieces. And Hirsch was very impressed with the quality and that kind of thing. Right. But then he talked to them and they, they said that there was a problem with the molds that the, basically the, the first ones really didn't work very well. The, they were, uh, the lines weren't very, they, they just didn't look that great. And um, I remember the first version, like some of them look kind of like they were melting or whatever, you know, it just wasn't super well defined. And uh, Rebecca sent me over those, those miniatures, but she gave me like a one line in an email. Oh, some miniatures weren't very high quality. We're redoing them. And that was the only thing I knew about it. I had no idea that it cost thousands of dollars for this company to do what it is that they did in order to deliver high quality. But I guess because I am always just appreciating my rep, which I think it's very important to appreciate people just because, you know, people aren't the work that they do. They, they're so much more than that. Right. And I always try to like the, the best example I can think of is a, a server at a restaurant, somebody serving you food, right? It's a, a servant's job to serve food. And that's why we call them servers, but they are not your, you're not their master. Yeah. You're, you that's know, they are. Right. I mean, even if you have more money than they do, even if you're more successful than they are, that person has equal value as as you. And I believe they should be treated that way. You know, like, don't, yeah, you, know, you know, I'll tell you another if we already talk. I know we already going off topic over here, but what do you call a, a taxi driver in Chinese? What do you call the cleaner in the street in Chinese? If you want to address these people. So if they're older than you, you know, you always call them uncle or aunt. Yeah, mm-hmm. so a sign of respect because it's the older generation. Um, but even if they're the same age as you, as you, right? So many people. I remember I was studying in in in, in uh, Manchester, and we had this whole course, and the professor came in and he was talking down upon like garbage workers. Mm-hmm. I forgot what the context was, but then I had one Chinese student who was like, "In China, this would have never happened." And in mm-hmm. Chinese, you call them shifu, you call them master, oh. uh, like 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 a master of the fine art. type of master so they're very good at what they do they become the master shifu so even the lowest position kind of job is still you need to address it with respect and and this is also something very very uh chinese i mean i love china i've been here for eight years and i still love it so and i don't think i'll want to live anywhere else maybe life will take me other places but for me this is just so beautiful and the culture is so amazing and the people are so warm and and you have so much respect to one another and nobody's bothering anyone else live and let live uh, so yeah i know i know a, a lot of bad stuff goes against china right now in the news and everybody's talking shit about it but the people are just incredible almost yeah. all of them i think that might be maybe worth clarifying because i think especially in the west when people think of china and they, especially when they think of manufacturing they probably have in their mind of like people like chained to the wall and they're kind of like walking oh in, and there's like these fans and there's like these, <laughs> these there's like suicide nets so people you know i think that's some of the 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 things that, that people envision i think it probably would be good to maybe just talk a little bit into the the manufacturing environment that people are in like 
are people treated well? Because uh, I suppose mm-hmm. for a lot of people, China is a black box. It's like this country that's just Nobody there knows. we don't, don't know much, don't know much about. But you've been there for eight years. You speak the language fluently. Maybe give us a bit of uh, inside look into uh, what does like what do these manufacturing facilities look like? What's the kind of culture there? Are, are, are people happy or are they kind of like miserable? And maybe just talk mm-hmm. talk about your experience there. Okay, so so I'm 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 gonna talk and I hope it like makes sense or I'll sl- I'll slowly piece. Uh, piece it together yeah. but um, the first the first part is many people think oh China is cheap because of like uh, what like uh, slave whatever labor or slave labor or child labor God forbid or whatever all this stuff but that cannot be further from the truth it's cheap because you have the the whole supply chain automated across all processes so you barely need the only place you really need the workers are in the assembly line, and these workers they get paid a lot in in Chinese uh, level. So the machine operators, for example, the printing uh, engineer that prints your mach- the prints the sheets and the printing machine, he gets around twelve to fifteen thousand RMB a month, which translates mm-hmm. into US dollars like two thousand to maybe three. Two to three thousand dollars. I mean, maybe for you it sounds oh, it's so little, but in China it takes you a long, long way. So if I buy two pounds of potatoes, or or if I buy, I mean, I go to the grocery store and I come out with stuff for a week for only twenty bucks, fifteen, wow. and I go to the expensive places. I don't even go to the market. <laughs> so for them to get two to three thousand dollars is a lot of money. The assembly people, yeah. and I'm talking, these are more the elderly people. Let's say fifty and up. They get uh, so either they get a global salary of you know five thousand RMB or they will get per hour and per hour will usually be around three three dollars an hour. I mean, it mm-hmm. also for you sounds little, but but for them it's it's but yeah, it's, the cost it's of their living, minimum you know, wage almost. Well, yeah, you put it into context, yeah. Yeah, they live off. I live off if my salary I take from myself a thousand two hundred dollars. If if there's a month I need more and and I go between places I I, I withdraw from the business two thousand dollars but I don't need more you know mm-hmm. and and my my level of living is way higher than than those of the assembly line and and they I mean they're also locals they go to the markets they they haggle on everything and another thing that people don't know so we me and Yang Libin Yang Libin is my partner um. We start, we open the factory at nine and close, close it around seven. Sometimes if we have a lot of orders, we close it at nine. And that's the main reason why a lot of workers don't want to work with us. They say, you're not open long enough. They say, will you give me 12 hours a day? I say, no. Okay, I'm, I'm going to work for someone else. Their mentality is so different than the other uh, Western yeah. mentality, so to speak, because in their life, they don't have, I don't want to say they don't have meaning, but for them, you know, their kids are already grown up. They live in different cities. They don't want to sit at home all day. So they come to the factory. There are six people sitting across from each other, talking, uh, you know, maybe watching funny stuff on, on the Chinese TikTok um, while they do assembly, while they, they do some work. I mean, for them to come to work is an enjoyable activity. They, they do it out of fun. They because they don't want to stay at home and not do anything. Also, the government doesn't pay the money for staying to mm-hmm. stay at home. So, yep. so they, so Chinese people in general are extremely, extremely happy. Especially the older generation. The younger generation is becoming a little more westernized and a little bit, a little more. Um, what's the word for it? Uh, spoiled. 
Yeah. So they like okay. the good Uh-oh. stuff. Yeah. Give me an office job. <laughs> I only want six, seven hours. I don't want my boss to to be too uh-huh. firm. I want to be able to have a two-hour break and sleep. You know, that's they the need to be pro gamers, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, so so that's that's what it is, worker-wise, or how it works. And again, the reason why prices are cheap is largely because the way China operates and the way businesses cooperate with each other allows for everyone to automate all their processes, automate all their processes across across all uh, like mm-hmm. across all orders so let's say i'm making a small box right and the small box doesn't fit in the big machines that i have so what do i do do i do i glue it by hand and charge more money no i go to my next door neighbor and i say you have the small machine please glue this small box for me and because the cooperation in china is so open um, and everyone is so yoho and everyone really wants to make sure that the other one is is happy um, this type of cooperation happens. Um, I, I will add just one more thing about it. The like, do you remember in like 2000 there was a concept of open source software that was competing mm-hmm. with uh, Microsoft in China in 2003. That was when they established Zhejiang's production zone, the EWU, and all of that. Um, the scholars decided to come up with the idea of open source hardware. Mm-hmm. So if I have this cut card cutting machine and you have that. Uh, gluing machine, we can we can work together as one factory, basically, and 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 mm-hmm. that's the power of China, and that's why they the prices are so low. That's awesome, and that and that kind of in 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 a way that I guess people might understand. You know, you've got with Microsoft, you've got um, Microsoft Office, and with Apple, you have some stupid app called Pages that I think nobody should use ever. But Pages is not compatible with Microsoft Office. And of course, Office, you can't open DocX in with Doc Pages. Yes. Uh, you know? And I think that that's only because of competition where they want you to use only, you know, their, their stuff. Like if you're using Windows, use Microsoft Office because we can make more money from you that way and kind of corner the market. Whereas what it sounds like in China, so like we're taking a PDF document, for example. Um, PDF is generally accepted to be universal there are certain issues like if you're exporting a pdf from adobe photoshop versus adobe indesign there's a difference in actually the pdf but um the uh from what it sounds like you know the the file that you would have to work from on your cutting machine is the same format that the gluing machine in the factory next door would would potentially need it or you would be able to produce it in a format that you know that that gluing machine would receive. Am I crazy? So, a little. <laughs> no, you're not crazy. But <laughs> but it's not necessarily the file. It's more the process that needs to go into this. So the additional, okay. we call it gong uh, yi, is like the skill, the specific skill or thing that needs to go into that specific process. Mm-hmm. So each machine has its own. But if I calibrate my machine to fit your sizes, we're all good. Oh, so yes. Okay. Let's everyone do the same thing, and and that's why I think China is. I don't know about other countries, but in China, the standard paper is so popular, just because of this concept. I think. Um, so even the printing machine, the 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 paper mills, they see okay, what do what do the printing machines need, and and from the printing machine, okay, what do all the cutting machines need? What does the oil coating machine need? And everything is more or less working in, in that in that direction. So they always try to make sure. That when you build an industrial zone, you have everything you need within one industrial zone, and everyone can cooperate with everyone. 
Yeah. This increases efficiency. It's very risky also. So maybe because the QC is lower, so maybe you will want to move some processes in-house rather than mm-hmm. outsource them. So for example, card cutting for me is crucial. So I said, okay, it's it's worthwhile investing and in buying a card cutting machine. Mm-hmm. Oil coating. I'm a huge fan of oil coating. Don't get me started. I said, <laughs> I want this machine in-house. You know, some rule books, they feel so smooth, like silky smooth. Some yep. rule books, your finger gets stuck. That's a rule book that adds like oil coating. Some cards, they're, they're, they're so thick. They're so durable. And some cards feel so flimsy. That's got to do with the oil. You have oils that is like two gram. So I can calibrate the machine. If I want per square, per square meter, two grams of oil, I want eight grams of oil. Mm-hmm. So if, if, okay, you want the cheapest, no problem. I'm going to just put two grams of oil per square meter. But you want yeah. good. So I'm, I'm going to buy the best oil and and make it the thickest. So I don't know. There, there, there's a bunch of stuff that you slowly, as you grow, you decide what you want to what you want to bring in house, what you still want to outsource. Lamination is something that I personally outsource to the guy downstairs, downstairs from us. So because this is a process that there are no mistakes, no issues, everything is automatic anyways. The lamination is the same lamination. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that process is not worthwhile bringing indoors, bringing right. in house. Um, so it costs, I mean, a, a machine is very expensive. To, yeah, the to lamination machine is them. way too expensive, and the profit, the 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 jagong, the money that you make from the process itself is not worth it. So if yeah. I make in the the machine's profit, the card cutting profit, it it ranges between more or less as wumao is 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 wumao is around uh, less than ten cents per per deck. Mm-hmm. That's what the machine mm-hmm. makes. Yeah. So this less than 10 cents needs to cover the salary of the machine operator, right? And the electricity yep. and everything. So, so yeah, you always want to see, okay, if I get this machine, can I run it in full capacity? Because if you run it only 30%, you're basically losing money. So you mm-hmm. want to know, I, I need to be able to run this machine at a certain capacity, and then it becomes worth my while to to buy it and, 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 and start working on it. Um, so yeah, every machine, the box gluing machine is the one we make the most money off of just because their process is more expensive so Mm -hmm. the percentage of profit is a bit higher but it's also the most expensive machine i i want to actually revisit something that's very relevant to what it is that you're saying now that you actually touched on earlier which is production prices and efficiency remember you were talking about how you were you asked what is the what size is the production sheet and to relate to my own experience what i originally intended was i've got a lot of cardboard in deliverance and if i knew what you know what size the production sheet was you know like 300 millimeters by 400 millimeters you know a cardboard sheet i think it's almost like 400 by 400 from what i from what i learned we ended up deciding to go with uh sheets that were unpunched but you can actually get a larger sheet and have the the full size sheet running through the machine and printing everything that it needs to print, and you know, I was a, I was actually able to ha, uh, to to get that full size sheet run through and punched out for the same cost that I would exactly. get the four smaller sheets. However, the problem that I ran into was kind of a language and understanding barrier that I I didn't feel confident that I would get the product I needed at the, at the price that, you know, was kind of that, that, you know, a similar price. And so we elected to go with unpunched token sheets just because it was, it was easier communication wise to, to make sure these were correct and, and that kind of thing, but what because do, what I do you couldn't mean really get it. Token sheets. Uh, do... So um, 
you know, 292 millimeter square sheets that have, you know, that, that two millimeter uh, tokens. So like all the damage tokens in the game, all the status effect tokens and stuff like that. I, uh, we have those, uh, square sheets, four of them in the box. So when you, when you get your copy of the game, you you punch them out, you you have to punch the tokens out. Um, manually. Yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. Everyone, this is something that you have to keep. Yeah, yep. but 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 what you were saying about like using utilizing the most of the process is so accurate. Mm-hmm. Specifically, you don't want to punch out. The, I don't know who who offers punching out the tokens, but it's very dangerous. Nobody should ever ever even consider it because stuff will get lost, and um, it's enough that one component is missing. Because imagine because somebody needs to punch them out. Yep. And if yep. if the worker the assembly line punches them out, which is okay, let's say whatever amount it will cost, but but one piece will fly out. And it's enough to have that one piece fly out and that one backer to not be happy to go on your Kickstarter crowdfunding or go on your Amazon and say, ah, this game is missing pieces. Mm-hmm. The production is super low and then nobody's going to buy your game or everybody will get yeah. pissed off, you know? So, or you'll have so to I, rip open a new game to fix that one and, backer cinema token. Exactly. Just for that one token. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Which is legit. These are real stories, you know? You always have to re- replace components. Like I, I, I rue the day that I'm going to have to rip open a box to give a courage token to someone because they <laughs> thought they were missing it or whatever. Um, yeah, you should ask uh, Rebecca for extra because they for sure have extra sheets. So when we manufacture, um, I don't know if we spoke about it before, but there's wastage. There's wastage that goes into each piece. So so you're ordering 500 or 1,000 or 5,000. Our wastage sheets is more or less 300, 400 more. So whatever order you come in, we start with 300, 400 extras. Oh. And and then we always end up with more as well. So what I like to do is I take all the extra pieces, all the extra component, instead of throwing them away to the garbage, you know, I or recycling them. Sorry, I, I send it to, I send it to to the to the game creator. That's really smart. This I way, like if you do need to have a replacement piece, then you can always have that extra piece. Um, you just need to ask her nicely, I think, and tell her please put all the extra pieces in one carton and, and send it to us separately. Uh, that's and, really yeah, cool. And, that's a great yeah, idea. That's good advice. I, I, I yeah, think people would have known that. So that's that's some stellar yeah, advice. You don't you don't always have it. Um, sometimes you even run short. So mm-hmm. sometimes if we run short, we have less games. Um, so that also happens. But we will have more of this, less of this, because cards are more. Anyways, each component is different. Token sheets in general are are pretty easy to make, uh, as long as they're not like double layer and, and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff. Yeah. But back to your point. You, you do want to use uh, the machine that you want to utilize the process as much as possible. And the paper mm-hmm. sizes are very, very important over here. What you have done is very smart. Um, I personally would have gone with a 292 and 292 sheets, but yep, um, that's, that's actually that, maximize. We had two sheets uh, that are 292 square. And then one uh, we had two more sheets that we were able to fig- figure out how to make the exact same cut. So two, the 292 square sheets are the exact same cut and then the two smaller ones that we have had to be different cuts but we were able to make them smaller to use less material exactly and fit them in one cutting mold yes yeah that's the genius part so so So, that's where you you save a lot of that cost you don't need to make two cutting molds you don't need two setups so and that's actually something that i think is highly relevant for marketing i mean in the end what we're talking about here is the price of the product that I have to sell. I mean, I, you know, we, we were able to get deliverance at a landed cost of under $20. 
And so our MSRP, like just under 20 bucks, it's like 16 or $17 or so is the manufacturing cost, $17.08 for 5,000 units and uh, per, per unit. And then of course, with the, the shipping, you know, you're going to add another $2, $3 to, uh, to each unit. So it's around $20 for the landed cost, which means that in sense? order to be you, you're shipping uh, to where, uh, so we're, we're, we're shipping to uh, five different regions. So we're doing uh, us East coast. We're doing, um, you know, of course, Asia with VFI Asia, we're doing happy shops in Germany and uh, gosh, uh, ship quest in, in the, um, UK. the UK. And yeah, I think that, I think that might be, Oh, and um, gosh, uh, Etherworks in Australia. So oh. th- yeah. So we have, we have a bunch of different things. So our MSRP is $99 because that's, you know, five times our landed cost. It's a bigger game. And so the MSRP of the game is 99 bucks. Um, and then we, we have some extra, you know, that we charge for shipping and whatnot to, to make sure that all of that worked. Um, and <laughs> cause it's, it's going to be a nightmare, uh, getting all these logistics done. If I was able to find even, if I was able to find even like, oh, a, a way to reduce the cost by like 20 cents in manufacturing cost, then that translates to a dollar less or potentially a dollar more profit in distribution or at, uh, at retail. And I mean, that 20 cent difference can mean the difference between breaking even and being profitable. It can mean the difference between being profitable and being able to make a potential full-time income. And we're, so we're talking a huge, huge difference off of very small efficiency changes. Yeah. I, there's also, it's also an issue that I, I find with uh, some game creators, they come to me with a five times rule and they think, Oh, the five times rules is an iron rule. I have to follow it, but they only print 500 games. Well, they only print 1,000 games. So you cannot expect to, to, I mean, so they think, okay, it cost me in 500 sets, it cost me $17 to make the game. So I need to sell it for, for 85 or whatever it is, right? It's like a deck but in of reality, cards. reality, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a deck of cards and a few tokens, right? But for them, it's, oh, no, you got to, you know, so they need to remember, and this is, I think, the, your job also as part of the marketers is to tell them, okay, listen, your MSRP needs to be this. So you always want to work backwards rather than, because they all start, what is a production cost? What is the MSRP cost? But it's actually totally the opposite. What is the product? What is the MSRP? Okay. Let me see. How can I reach the right Mm -hmm. profit margins for me? Um, That's a good point. I actually, I actually did. So when I was getting uh, quotes and whatnot, I, I kind of decided, all right, long pack is going to be my team and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm getting, I, I was working with Gameland to get quotes as well, but Longpack was just kind of showing themselves uh, superior in the way that the customer service and, and whatnot. I thought, okay, Longpack is kind of my first choice now. And then like, they, they asked me, like, you know, I was like, Hey, just to, to let you know, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try to sell this game at $89 MSRP. So I'd really like to see if we can get to like $16 or, or, or so, you know, for the cost. And they, and, but they were at like 19. So they, they gave me quotes and they, they were like, you know, here, here's our quote. And it was uh, not a bad quote, but I, I talked to them and said, look, I, I need to get this a little bit lower so that I can sell at this cost. Cause that's what I feel like is, uh, is going to sell they on make, the market. Did they make actual recommendations or did they, they did. just lower the so, price? 
So actually I worked with, uh, so the two manufacturers, the, the difference maker was Gameland says, we can do that. We'll match that price. We'll just do that price. And then Longpack said, well, let me change a few of these things. Here are the changes. We can get it down to this much with those changes. And they actually sent me a PDF. And that's actually what made me choose Longpack because Gameland gave me like blue smoke up my kilt um, and yes. long pack actually gave me data. Yes. So this is also something that is really, really important to remember. I can match also any price, right? But the question is at what price am I matching it? So are you willing to sacrifice quality? Are you willing to sacrifice, um, you know, imperfectness across some games? And that's where the quality comes into. So I can, I can match any game. Okay. But the lead time will be longer. <laughs> I can match the quality, but the raw materials will be uh, lower, lower quality. I can, you know, it's the processors are going to be not as good. I, I will, I will have less wastage, meaning maybe one or two of your games will be uh, faulted a little bit. So you can lower the price and get it for whatever price you want. Um, so just going to the factory and say, okay, I want, I want this low price. That's it's not useful at all because okay this is the price you want no problem no oil for uh, you yeah we used to dust or two grams of yeah <laughs> and um and so so the, the the secret is to work with a manufacturer um to to reach the price you you actually want and i think that's so when you when you send me a quote for example or not you per se, but somebody sends me a quote. The first thing that I'm looking, I'm looking at is production product list and okay, this over here I'm gonna change without even asking. You know, I, I just I go in, I, I I put all my ideal dimensions, all my ideal price structures, and then I tell them, okay, this is your price for for mine. If you want yours, um there was a space theme park game that was made recently. I forgot the name of it. I I wasn't the manufacturer, Gameland is the manufacturer for it. But yeah the the during production, you know, there were a few issues and he asked me, what can we do about it or, or what I would have done about it? And, and I would tell him, okay, so I would have changed all of these components to these sizes. Then you would have get this price and still get the speed and, and, and qualities that you want rather than give me this price, no problem. And then we have issues later on. Um, so, so yeah, it's very important when you first approach the, the factory is that you don't press prices down. There's nowhere to go with the price. It's only what do you what do you want to do with your game in order to reach it. So so yeah, that's a very very important point. Excellent, excellent way. And and I think part of the you know what it is we're talking about is like a clever way to negotiate. One of the things that I did was I reached out to manufacturers for prices. And at the time, I actually also reached out to you and you said, hey, you know we're not quite there yet to to do this game. I'd love to quote you, but because you have miniatures and whatnot, I you you uh, gracefully bowed out to manufacture our game, and that was actually a really great interaction I had with you. And then um, also Gameland and Longpack, and there were a couple of others that um, that I got quotes from. I want to say I got like I, I went overboard and got like nine quotes, um, and <laughs> and I thought Panda, I totally screwed up Panda's quoting system. Like I I didn't get a good quote from them because I didn't do it right, but. I was like, pandas didn't reach out to me. And then they actually did. And I missed it. So, uh, but anyway, they, um, we went through all these quoting and I narrowed down what I felt like were uh, companies with great uh, reputations as well as companies that had good prices. And I, I, you know, what I did was I took the absolute best price, which was long pack. 
And then I, you know, at the time, and then I said, you know, they were like $3 cheaper. Some, sometimes the, you know, for the quoted materials and, and, um, it was like, you know, long pack quoted me this, here's their quote. Like I have the quote right here. You are too expensive. And if you fix it, you'll still be in the running. And so I actually used numbers against, you know, from one company to another. And that's eventually, as, as you know, the, the conclusion game found was just like, we'll just, or game land, uh, we'll just match it. It's like, I don't, I mean, show me numbers. I ended up going with, with long pack because, of, um, okay. Uh, so I have game. to, like, yeah, because also their price. <laughs> but was, how would I you mean, have done that? If I were you, I would have done exactly the same. If I were you talking to myself, yeah, I would have said this. And I would also tell, listen, I want to sell my game for this much money. Help me bring it to this much. Mm-hmm. And and it would have been my job as, as your partner to, to to help you reach that part. Yeah. It, it requires trust. And I'll tell you another thing that it, that it, that it requires. And, and I think this is one of the best uh, service offerings that I offer where I do also the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Because that means that you have one person, one address from production all the way to backwards. So if backwards complain along the way, it's one person's fault or yeah. one, not fault, but you have one address to reach. But for example, you right now, you're manufacturing with long pack mm-hmm. and long pack with their box, their box might not be so thick and they might, they use a reinforced, they use a, the, the, they use a tape on the sides, but they don't have the, the, the sharp edges. So, you know, a box or two will get damaged. Uh-huh. You will come to long pack, say hey, your box is damaged. Say so, yeah, it's not our fault; it's your shipper's fault. Yep. The ship, you go so to the shipper. To no, it's a fulfillment. logistics, guy. and then yeah. yeah, yep, yep. So, so having one person guarantee your whole process from start to finish, for me, that's the biggest value offerings that I can offer. But it also comes with a price that mm-hmm. I need to guarantee that the game is perfect. Yeah. So there is a price limit that I'm not going to go under because I know I'll be losing money from it, you know, because if yep. something, so for example, I quoted a miniature game, not, not, not long ago, like a few days ago, literally. And he also, like you went to like five, six different uh, factories and he gives them the quotation sheet and in his quotation, he had a corrugated cardboard insert. I quoted to him. I said, listen, I'm not going to use corrugated cardboard insert. I'm using a plastic insert, a thick one, a durable one with a cap to hold the miniatures. He said, but Hirsch, it adds it adds so much more to the game because it's only also the plastic insert, which is for 2000 sets around 40 cents, 50 cents with a cap. And then you also need to add a person in the assembly line, placing each miniature in, in, in place. So you're adding over here another 70, 80 cents. And he says, your price is 80 cents higher than, than your competitors. And I said, listen, I offer all the way to the backer's door. I don't care. You know, if, if you want lower, I don't have a guarantee yep. that all the backwards will be happy if a miniature breaks. So I think having that, for me, if, if I'm, I, I'm always thinking about if I was a game creator, what would I need? And that one person to m- handle all of your logistics and production is key solution. And being only the manufacturer is not enough. Being only the fulfillment agent is also not enough. You need to combine both of them together. Because for yeah. you, you designed the game, you made it, I mean, it's so much work. You marketed it and you got all the customers for it and customers are complaining. Where, where does, where do you draw the line and say, okay, this is where somebody else needs to, to be responsible for it. So, and, and I think that's more or less the, the biggest, biggest value offering. So even if the price is not the cheapest, 
but it's a price that makes me feel safe. That's a key point because I know yeah. I can guarantee every game. And if a game is faulty for whatever reason, I don't care damage in shipping or damage in, in production or whatever it is, you get, we send a new game to the, to the backer or you get a refund for that game, whatever you choose. My point is sometimes going and pushing for the lowest price is not mm-hmm. the best approach. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.